recording. Should we? Um, hey team. Um, welcome to the Chug and Chat. We are your hosts, Mo and Liz. How is everybody? How's everybody doing out there? I hope that uh, I hope that you are doing okay. I mean, we we've been like starting this week. Um, I mean, we've been talking a lot this week, just even in the last right before we started recording, how it just feels. And seems like everyone is in a moment of crisis um, and is just like really emotionally exhausted. Um, what yeah, with- I was going to say, I can answer that one. Everyone's feeling like shit, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How everyone is right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, should I just like jump in? Jump in, dude. I just, All right, I, dude. People need to know like your experience from this week. So Morgan so- was in Vegas this week, you guys. So she yeah. has seen up close and personal some just really moving and awful and incredible stuff. So yeah, I, I want to hear about it. So I'm just going to so, shut up. It, I mean, it was just crazy. So I went for a conference, um, a wedding industry conference and me and my two assistants flew out of Portland at like five 30 in the morning. And so we had heard some about it, but like who wakes up on a morning when they're kidding? Like I woke up at like two 45 that morning to get on a plane and I was like, not looking at the news. Right. So well, yeah, I like, I saw it and I was like, Oh my God. And so I like woke my husband up and I was like, Hey, like, I just want you to know that like, I've read that news and I'm going to like, keep that in my mind. Like I didn't want him to wake up officially for the day and be like, fuck, like Vegas is in crisis. And my wife just went there. Like, but like, I wanted him to like, know that I was aware of that. And so we're sitting in the airport And I'm reading, I'm like actually reading it and I'm reading how bad it is. And then I'm like starting to like, look at everybody. And then I start to get a little worried because it's like, where where are we going? Like, what are we walking into right now? Because like the, the only thing, and this is what flashed through my mind the entire time that I had my staff there is like, I will never forgive myself if something happens to them when they're with me. I just will never. Oh my God. That just gave me chills. It was supposed to be like this celebration of a kick-ass wedding season. And like, we just had no idea how to behave. So first of all, if you've ever been to Vegas and the second you get off the airport, in the airport, um, it's like you hear all the slot machines, like na, 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 whoop, whoop, like all that kind of stuff. Oh, you're so right. That literally just brought me back to the Vegas airport. (laughs) Yeah. So they turned off the sound to all the slot machines. It was silent. (gasps) Whoa. So we walk out and it's silent in the airport. And I was like, oh man, I already really don't like this. I really don't like this. And so I'm like, I like turned to them like my kids and I was like, girls stay close to me. And they looked at me and I was like, okay, like I need to like, I was in serious high, like the highest alert mode I had ever just immediately. And I'm looking at, and in the faces of all these people and just people are just crying. Everyone's just crying in the airport. And everyone's looking wow. down and people are holding on to each other. And then there are like some people who are like, don't either know that it's happening or like, are those people who just can read things and be like, oh, like whatever. And like move on with their lives. Like they're not fucking empaths in Trump's America, but you know, they were like drinking and hanging out. And I found myself looking at them and being like, fuck you. Like I was like super mad, like show some fucking respect. Don't drink a beer right now. You know what I mean? It was like. Hell yeah. Man. So we get in a cab and the guy's like, where are you going? And I said, we're going to the MGM. And he goes, I, I don't know if we can get there. And I was like, and up until that moment, it had not occurred to me that they locked down the entire strip. 
Oh, so, wow. yeah, that must have been really eerie after like hearing yeah. the silence and the crying. And then it's like, you don't even know if you can get to where you're scheduled to right. go. And it, oh it's dawn. So Vegas is already a, a fucking ghost town at dawn. Like it just is, you know, we landed at like 745 and, um, my very good friend was working there and she, she works in clubs there sometimes. And she was there during the night. So we had gotten, um, did you know she was going to be there already? Yeah. Yeah. She was like okay. meeting up with me. Like we were like, like that was, we were like going to go have fun. Oh, um, wow. Okay. After, after the conference. Like, so my girls could only stay till Tuesday night. And then my, um, two of my best friends flew out to join me and we were going to do like a, like, you know, like fun girls kind of thing. Um, and I was just going to like straight up not go to the last day of the conference. And, um, she sends us a text and she, she'd been locked down for hours. I mean, they locked people down. For, I mean, she, she got to my hotel to come see me like 10 minutes after I got there. So she had just, it was, it was really f fresh um, that everybody. Oh, had, they did let it, people out that quickly though. I mean, I'm not quickly because yeah, I know they've was, been in lockdown for a while, but I didn't realize like it was that soon after you got there. Oh. Yeah, it was like, it was like six hours, I think. Um, I'd have to look back and I'm probably wrong. I'd have to look back at the timeline. I actually don't remember what time at night it happened. But uh, they, so we, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they let everybody out at like seven, between seven fifteen seven thirty 30 AM. So they've been locked down for a long time, but yes, they, they did. Um, they did let everybody out around, around then. Um, and I think different institutions let them out at different times. Like I'm sure some, you know, somebody had to be first and was probably letting people out earlier, but, um, I mean, it was just bonkers. So we get there. Um, the guy, he goes through like the back parking garage and like, it was like a, like a movie. I mean, it was like, he goes through the back parking garage and like drove over two little like barricade things to get us to the front door. Oh my God. We, we pull up to the front door and I'm just thankful that we can get in there. I've stayed at MGM a million times. I like am familiar with it. I feel safe there. And I was like, just get in, get inside, like, just, just get the fuck inside, you know, with my, like my kids, you know, and we start pulling our stuff out and we're standing there and we start to walk inside and we just all stop. And there's probably 30 or 40 people who had been at the concert who just walk out and they're in like super cute little shorts and boots and hats and like, like very obviously had gone to that concert. And they're just, they're, they just look like ghosts. I mean, they, like, they weren't really even emoting. They were just holding on to each other and holding on to stuff. Like several of them had like big piles of clothes and stuff. And it's like, you had to wonder like who that, who that may have belonged to oh or God. something like that. Um, yeah. and like, they were all they, in shock, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And they had like, some of them had scraped knees and like, I mean, it was just like, I just stood there. Like as in like they were trying to run away? Or I don't like, know. I don't oh, know. That's so scary. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was one of those, like, you just really, you knew exactly what, what, what had happened, but you knew nothing about what had happened. You right. You know, it was right. like, and we all just stood there and watched them and they knew everyone was watching them. And then we were all trying not to watch them, but then wanted to watch them. So it was like, of course. <laughs> you know, it was just this weird and, you know, the, like the cab line, you just see the cab line, like totally just moves to one side and like, they let all those people go. And 
we're just like, okay. So I get inside and the check-in line is enormous at seven in the morning on a Monday in Vegas. And that's, I, that's weird. So I I'll was say. like, okay. Um, and my friend arrives while I'm waiting in line and she's like patiently waiting. And she like comes up to me and a girl who she had worked with at the club lost her husband. Um, he worked at Mandalay Bay and he, he was killed. And at that time they were trying to figure out where he was and, and that kind of stuff. And she was just, Oh gosh, she was just so shaken. And so she, as if they didn't, you mean as they didn't know he had died yet? Yeah. So for many hours, they didn't release the names of, of the victims. Cause for, I don't think they knew. And at, at such a time they were, they were flying people out to people. Like a lot of people were also unconscious and the Las Vegas trauma center is not equipped to, to deal with that large of an incident. And which is just a testament to how that kind of stuff like just really doesn't happen there. It doesn't happen anywhere, but it, it doesn't happen there. And so people were, you know, there were reports of people finding their loved ones in California and like in other places because they had just put them on a plane and you know, they were like, get them out of here. Like they need serious medical attention and they were flying them other places. Oh, wow. So I think there's probably still some of that going on. All of the billboards in, um, that the big casinos are all saying like, if you're looking for an injured or lost loved one, please call this number. Like it's crazy. So we get in, you know, and we, um, the, the girl I, at the front um, is just like typing like a crazy person. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I can't get you into your room. And I was like, it's 7 a.m. I, I didn't expect to get into my room until three. I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm more yeah. just like, I, I just want to say like, I'm here. Can I be called when my room is ready? And I was like, and I also want to tell you that we're really good friends, those of us who are staying in this room. And like, we can, like, if we, we need to be in a single queen tonight, like whatever we need to do, if you need that double queen, cause I had a double queen suite. And I was like, if you need that, if you have a family, you have a bunch of people, you have people that need to go in that you, you just, you do that. And you put me anywhere. Like, I don't care. You know, oh, no. that's so awesome. Well, but it was like, we, I mean, you just, you would, you got there and you were like, we need to do anything today we do anything. And, and then it was like, and she like looks at me and she's like, I, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Please tell me your name again. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yes. Like I get out all my shit again, you know, and we're like standing there and she was like, I've been, I've sorry. I've, I've been here for like 16 hours. I was supposed to go home wow. many hours ago. And I will, and she was like, and most of our staff didn't show up today. And I was like, I, Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's like, what do you say? The, the whole week I was just like, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm really, I'm very, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? So then I was like, I need a fucking drink. And we go and like, and then I just Fair. decided, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I just decided that the best thing that we could do was spend money there. The best thing that we could do is like, okay, all of these, like all of the hotels, all these places at least like what I was seeing, everyone was helping. Everyone was helping. Like that town came together incredibly well. There were armed police everywhere, everywhere. And it was like, and they were being positive. They were out there smiling and looking like they were okay. And I don't even want to know how hard that was for them. 
Yeah, no kidding. That's really impressive. That's like actually public service, which is what the police force is supposed to do. So that's really awesome to hear. You would walk by and they'd be like, ladies, ladies, stay safe, please. You know, and you were like, okay, thank you. Like, I, I will today. I will, you know, like, oh, it was just crazy. So we like start walking around because it's like, you know, what do you do in a moment of that? You just, you go walk around because we wanted to see what was going on out there. I like, I was like, I need to get out of here. I can't sit in this casino and like, it was just, it was just crazy. Like we, we needed to go be around, but I also wanted to be inside as much as possible. So yeah, no kidding. That must've been so hard. It's like, do you walk the strip or do you just like walk aimlessly yeah. through one of the gigantic hotels? I and mean, that's kind of like, what we did. We just sort of like, we weren't outside any longer than we had to. And we just like went hotel to hotel to hotel. And then we'd stay in there for a little while. And then there was, they found a car at the Luxor and they locked down part of the Luxor. Um, Wait, maybe, I didn't hear this. What happened? Yeah. With that? So there was, what was really interesting is to watch the news that was going around locally and the news versus the news that was going around nationally. So I bet, man. <laughs> when we landed, there's, there were billboards everywhere. You know those like Amber Alert ones that they can like, yeah. so it was like that just everywhere. And they were looking for two cars. So immediately everybody was like, well, why were they even looking for cars? He's, he's dead. So then everybody's like, why are they looking for two cars? And my friend um, who was working there, yeah, and my friend who was working there was, you know, talking to all these people who were there and had seen it. And, and you know, weird things come out when stuff like this happens because people are so scared and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to understand. And so um, somebody declared the car that they found at the Luxor a bomb threat because I guess they saw exposed wiring and it ended up not being a thing, but it caused some serious panic for a while. I bet it did. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's what, that was at like 10 AM. Um, especially considering like everybody's been speculating that he had to have been, he had to have had some help at least in acquiring all the firearms because he just had such a ridiculous amount and it was meticulously planned and yada, yada, yada. So I could really see how any sign of that could have completely freaked everyone out. Yeah. I mean, it was just crazy. And then like, we go to a Walgreens cause like you do that, you know, we were like going to get snacks and like water bottles and stuff. And we come out and the people who were all selling a lot, they're always like selling attractions, like take a helicopter, you know, any of that stuff. The, she just walks up and she's like, ladies, how are you? Were you there last night? And I was oh, like, wow. yeah. And I was like, we, we weren't, how are you? And, and she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm standing here and I'm at work today. And I was like, well, I think that that's a win. I think that that's a huge thing. Thank you for being out here and doing your job. That's amazing. Thank you for even asking, like, thank you. And she was, because it's like, what do you say? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come to work. Are you kidding me? I didn't go to work the day after the election. I wouldn't fucking go to work. I wish I hadn't gone to work the day after the election. I I didn't answer my phone. I was like, no, I just can't today. And so like, you know, and she, I said, are, are, how are you and yours? Like, is everybody, is everybody safe? And she was like, I'm one of the lucky ones, ma'am. Everybody's safe. And just after we left, we just like kept throughout, like we walked, oh God, I'm like getting misty thinking about it. When we were, we were like a block away and we were still like, goodbye. Like we were still like trying to like keep this connection. And it was so clear that everyone just needed to talk about it. You know, we, we went to dinner, um, on Monday night, we went to a sushi place and it was a really nice, really cool restaurant. We decided to like treat ourselves that night. And to go to Nobu? No, we went to um oh god. 
I can't even, I can, I can't even remember. It was in the wind. Oh, we nice. went to, the Trist nightclub was, um, used to be in that spot cool. and they turned it into, yeah. And so it's a sushi restaurant on top and then it's like a different club at the bottom. But, um, and it was just, it was like delicious. We were having this really great meal. And, and then our server, I don't even remember how it got brought up, but he starts talking about it. And I guess his, um, sister's very good friend's niece was shot in the back and she lost the use of her legs. <gasps> oh, and he was like, just, it just, ta- I mean, it was just like word vomit. Like it was just like everywhere. He just was talking and talking and talking and all the servers are walking by, like kind of glaring at him. Like they're all running their asses out, you know? And, and it was like, like not talk about it, you know? Well, and that was the thing. Like you, you, I was talking about it. I mean, in the cab on the way to the airport, I was talking about it this morning and it was like, I wasn't even there, you know? So it's like, you just, it was everywhere. It was absolutely everywhere. And, and it was just the craziest. And then it kind of brought me to this moment. So, and I, I'm not in any way trying to speak ill of my industry or speak ill of the people who decided to attend the conference, but I just, I didn't have it in me. I, it was in the same location that they were using, um, as a support, uh, center for families. And granted it was a Las Vegas convention center. So it's huge. Um, but I just, I couldn't see like going and sitting down and like talking about like color palettes and floral trends and like new dresses for next year while this is happening. Well, I just, yeah. I mean, that why, when you sent me a text saying it's that, I mean, it was so pointed, you know, like how can I like possibly go look at fun color palettes when you yeah. know, people are suffering? It made me you know, in some way wish that I, I wasn't an empath. Dude, seriously. I mean, revisiting our title of empaths in Trump's America, I've really been feeling that too. I mean, like I, and obviously not to make this about myself, but I'll just share really quickly as a very deep empath. I only really realized this week, like how much it was impacting me. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, I knew on like an intellectual level because I know who I am and like, I was feeling already really sad and emotional about both things that are going on with people I love personally. And then everything that's been happening with natural disasters and now the shooting and everything but like it really really hit me like hard physically this week yeah that's like for those of you out there listening who are not empaths I mean like to understand what it is it's like first of all like people who are empaths are highly highly sensitive to emotions in general yeah so basically take on the emotions of others so imagine like everything (laughs) that's gone to shit lately that's been happening it's like almost impossible not to embody it physically and like feel it traumatically at some level so like absolutely completely relate to that it's like how can how can you like not feel terrible <laughs> when yeah people are I going mean, through this it just was crazy yeah and then yesterday I you know my my best friend and I didn't even leave the hotel room we were just like this is you know I don't want to be out there like I don't feel safe out there I don't want to be out there um, and I, you know, I changed my flight to be earlier. Why didn't you guys end up leaving yesterday? Were you still thinking you might go to the conference or, or what, I guess no, at that I point mean, you were with your friends. So maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the girls had gone home. They flew home on Tuesday afternoon and, and, uh, I just didn't feel like going anywhere. I couldn't think of anywhere that I wanted to go. And that hasn't happened to me in Vegas either. Cause it's like everywhere is somewhere you want to go, you know? Yeah. But to and just it was, like, yeah. no, it was just like, I just don't. I don't have the like 
the like emotional strength to go do that today. Like I just don't have that inside myself to go do that today. And so I'm so happy you had people meeting you there. I mean, what if your oh team God, had left and then you were there alone the rest of the week? That would have been I would have just changed my flight. So Southwest Airlines, like yeah. whoop whoop, Southwest Airlines, they didn't whoop. charge anybody to change their flights. Oh, they didn't even charge the change fee that they normally no. charge? Oh. No. Man, I love that freaking airline. <laughs> I know. So if you were flying out of Vegas, you could change it to anything you wanted. Like I changed mine yesterday because I wasn't supposed to get home till like seven o'clock tonight. And I was like, I'm not fucking staying here all day. I'm just not doing that. Yeah. I remember when you told me you were coming back this afternoon, I was like, oh, thank God. Because like, I can't imagine like, yeah, if you were feeling stuck in your hotel room yesterday, like imagine if you'd spent two full days <laughs> in your yeah. hotel room, like feeling the intensity of this. Yeah. Like I feel intense about it and I wasn't in Vegas. So I can only imagine how you must have been feeling all week. You must yeah, it was just it. crazy. It was crazy. And I'm so anyway, I mean, that's my story. I'm really glad that I was there to see it because I think it was really important to, it's so easy to be far enough away from tragedy to be like, oh man, and to like, and, and to, you know, move past it more quickly. But like, I will, I will keep that with me forever. Well, like, I'm really I will, happy I will. that you're willing to share it because like, I think, I think it's important. Like you can hear like from far away or anecdotally kind of that, like, you know, Oh, isn't it so great? Like the, the Las Vegas police are actually so great and everyone's responding and it's so great. And it's like, it was hard for me not to fall into the kind of typical, like race perspective of this sure. like, in the sense that it's like, God, well, as usual, because like, most, I mean, there were a lot of white people at that concert. It was a yeah. music festival. Another um, white fucking shooter. Right. Another white shooter, um, you know, targeting like, it's just, obviously this gets national attention for many other reasons as well. But it's like, when you look at like how many mass shootings have occurred since the beginning of the year, it's always upsetting that like people get the most upset when it's a situation like this that includes primarily white people. And that might, that might have no basis. Like I probably shouldn't say that. Maybe there were just as many people of color at this festival as white people, but it feels very white. Like I had even a bunch yeah, of- Yeah, certainly not that were included in the victims' faces that I've seen. Okay, well that makes me feel a little more validated in my yeah. opinion, but like, but that's why I'm glad to hear your side of, of really witnessing it up close and personal and seeing how people came together and responded because I'm like, you know what, Trump, fuck you for talking about like how America always comes together and that's your response for something like the Vegas shooting and yet your response to Puerto Rico is like, they're a bunch of lazy fucks. Like I found myself getting so angry with that and almost too soon politicizing it. Like, I don't agree with the people who are like, it's not time to talk about gun policy yeah, fuck gun that. policy because it's time to pray. But I do feel like, of course, like we need to empathize with the people that were impacted and to, just to hear the personal story of it. I'm just, I have to thank you for sharing. That couldn't have been easy. Um, yeah, I just needed to do it, man. I mean, the yeah. whole, oh, one thing I did forget too, all day Monday, all of the clubs were closed. All of the, um, a lot of the restaurants closed and, um, the Bellagio didn't do its show and, um, the New York, New York didn't run its roller coaster. Like oh, that must've been eerie. It was really eerie, but it was so healthy. Like it was like, yes, like it, it couldn't, it would have been infuriating if it had been going on as usual. That's true. Cause it's like, you know, such a city based on like money and like <laughs> gluttony really yeah, more than anything. And, like, yelling and screaming and in your face. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I think the only, and like, I'm not sure how, to, I'm going to say this wrong because I'm exhausted, but I'm going to say this wrong. Yeah, you haven't even had time to process this. So. No, at all. But like, what I mean is, um, or like, well, I'm going to say this anyway. It, the one positive thing that I can think of coming out of this is that there is no argument against that, that like will invalidate the gun control conversation in this because he was not a radical of any kind. He was not mentally ill that they can perceive. He was not, and you know what I mean? It's like, this was, this was yeah, a this is a general, in that regard. yeah. He was also was really an, rich, which is not usually the case either. Yeah. Yeah. Had multiple condos, had multiple, you know, like this was not in any way a typical shooter. And that was the point. He was a, like a, in, in his early sixties, white male. And it was like, okay, like that, that part, I was like, thank God that at least that means that we can be like, see, it's anybody. That's the fucking point is it's anybody. It could be anybody at any fucking time with access to those weapons. Right, exactly. And like people who are always like, guns don't kill people, humans kill people. It's like, well, if you give any human access to semi-automatic or automatic weapons, anyone then with that argument could make the choice to do that kind of massacre. So I think you're right. That does change the scope of like where we're coming from with the argument at least gives us some some leverage or something to well yeah and like certain right wing and like I can't quote which one it is and this I'm taking this from the Pod Save America podcast um the one that we were talking about right before we started uh it's their their episode on the shooting and they're talking about how like you know like there's um stories floating around that it's uh it is the like radical left who like wants to start a war like it's all a ruse it wasn't actually a republican guy who did this and it's like you know (laughs) that's the best they can come up with is that like somehow the left staged this horrible horrific event to to take their guns away from them and it's like really fucked up how (laughs) pathetic are yeah. you that yeah, you no, that's ridiculous. something like that that's that is completely pathetic. ridiculous and i'm sorry like maybe that they're saying like they think they have some basis of argument for saying that like oh well of course because it was like a country music concert and most country fans are conservatives like sorry he booked a hotel room over Lollapalooza. like he yeah. booked an apartment over um what is it the beautiful is life or beautiful something like that mm-hmm. thing where that lord and chance the rapper were at and all that stuff i mean i know that that's all highly speculative right now given they have no idea why he did those things but like yeah i mean that's just such a baseless fucking bullshit argument and it reminded me of um a post that somebody posted today which i actually want to read really quick because yeah do um he's talking specifically about um, the self-defense argument that conservatives often make, like that you can't take away our rights because yeah, exactly that basically, like we're just waiting basically for crazy liberals to come like kill us and take away our guns. Yeah. I'm just just gonna read this post. Um, This person says, I own guns. I think it's crazy that there is not a stricter process for obtaining military grade firearms. The argument that guns don't kill people is true. I kind of disagree with that, like I said, but yeah, I do too. Um, 100%, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this guy is really liberal and a progressive liberal. So it's pretty interesting. Um, from New Mexico though, actually. 
anyway, I won't give any more identifying information, but um, the argument that guns don't kill people is true, but they make it a lot easier to kill a lot of people very quickly. This argument applies even to types of firearms. My Glock 19 could not inflict the kind of carnage that was seen in Vegas. If you want to own an assault weapon, you should have to pass not only a background check, but a mental health check and have a three-month waiting period. These weapons are only self-defense in the most extreme of scenarios and gun enthusiasts can afford to wait a few months and go through some sort of screening process before being allowed to purchase rapid fire, high powered rifles. I totally get it. They're fun as hell to shoot and you might think you need them when Obama comes and makes you get dental coverage. <laughs> that part made me laugh a lot. <laughs> That's why I wanted to read it. But the right to bear arms does not exclude that right from reasonable restrictions and constraints. There are restrictions and constraints placed upon the First Amendment to protect the immediate and present safety of those around you. So it's just like, you know, I mean... Basically, complete gun enthusiasts have never had any real logical argument over protecting their guns. And I just hate anyone who's trying to argue otherwise that we at least don't need some control around semi-automatic weapons. I mean, I was even reading how this guy, you know, bought that little thing, like, so not a gun person, obviously, but that thing that turns- The conversion, whatever. Yeah. I'm not a gun person either. Yeah, like, make semi-automatic weapons shoot like automatic weapons, and those are legal to buy. So yeah. it's just like, ah! That's so infuriating. Well, but. and I was talking about, like, so I got into some, like, massive Facebook wars because I was so raw about it, and nobody knew I was in Vegas. I made the choice to not post to social media to last night. Um, yeah. me and all the girls that were there, like we, we just decided that like, it was not for us to be like, look, like hashtag Vegas strong. And like the people who did that good for you. That's great. I just, I didn't, I found it, I found it to not be something that um, was genuine. I agree. So I, I just I didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't there to toot my own horn for being there. Um, so it, it like, I, I ended up getting into all kinds of crazy stuff because up because of how like raw it was for me and people like not knowing that. Um, and also just being like fucking fucktards and I wanted to rip their faces off, but you were on fire, girl. <laughs> I was on fire. It you was awesome. I was <laughs> on fucking fire, but it's like, you know, if, if there was a make and model of a V, so, so what everybody's saying is like, no, 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 like that wasn't a, and they're trying to throw a bunch of gun terminology around, which those of us who don't know, trying to intimidate us that like, no, that it wasn't that type of weapon. You know, I don't give a, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck what it was how, how this guy did it. I don't give a fuck about any of that. What I give a fuck about is that if this, there was a make and model of a vehicle, say Mazda made four cars and in 11 minutes, it killed 59 people and injured 500. You think we wouldn't have regulations and they wouldn't pull in all the fucking cars and refit and fix them all? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. like you think that there wouldn't Someone be literally lawsuits. Something that was like, they wouldn't. They would have driven a truck out of the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay and done the same thing. I'm like, that's not even possible. That's the stupidest thing yeah, I've ever like, And they're like, oh, we're going to talk about truck regulation? Yeah, actually, we probably would. You know, we probably would. If, if cars And in fact, that is highly regulated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that there was something that I saw that was like, are we going to, like, if somebody drove a truck into a crowd, are we going to start talking about truck regulation? And somebody tweeted it and was like, oh my God, yeah, like, what if they like made you get insurance and take a test in order to learn how to drive it and like commercial driver's licensing and yeah, exactly. yeah. And like force you to keep it registered. Like what the fuck would that world look like? <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. I read this, this ridiculous article that talked about how it's harder to get lawn darts 
than it is to get um, a semi-automatic weapon. Okay, I'm sorry, but what the fuck is a lawn dart? Oh my God. So <laughs> when I saw these, I had never heard of them. And so when I saw them, I was like, why did they, who fuck, like, who the fuck made these? They are giant darts with like a big ass spike on them that you're supposed to toss in your lawn. And they were like maiming kids. What? Yeah, yeah. And so they were hey, like, I'm well, sorry, probably I'm not trying to laugh, but what? <laughs> straight up Google a lawn dart right now. Everyone do it right now. Google a lawn dart. Unless you're driving, don't do it. <laughs> oh yeah, don't do it. But but then when you pull over, do it immediately. <laughs> and it was it's like it's like playing darts on like a big on, on your lawn. Like like you would like um I don't know, like cornhole, you know. <laughs> That's so messed up. Okay. Yeah, and apparently they were like really hurting children because fucking no shit. And they were like, oh, guess nobody needs those. So now you can't buy them in the States anymore. You no one needs a giant dart. <laughs> yeah, no one needs a giant dart that like is weighted so that it's supposed to go down with all its force. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm only laughing just because like I've cried and like yeah. associated enough at this point that like it's like sort of all I can do at this point. But that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, I know. Isn't that the most ridiculous? So when I read that, I was like, what the... Who, who can't read that? Like, I don't care what your political views are. Who doesn't read that or who doesn't look at what's going on and go, but I don't want this to be happening. So how do we stop this from happening? Like who, how are you too proud to put your humanity and your political view, like your, your political views above your humanity? And I think how it's is insulting that all of these people are also saying, of course, I'm deeply saddened by the loss yeah, of life. You. Obviously, you're not because yes. you give a shit about preventing it in the future and you're not honoring their lives by doing anything about it. Yeah. Other than arguing with people filled with logical fallacies on Facebook. Like, what a fucking waste of time. And what made your right to own a firearm more, like, weighed heavier? Why is that more important than my or anyone else's right to go to a concert and be safe in public spaces? Yeah. How is your right to own a possession more than lives? How, how? Yeah, how can you possibly live with yourself? I mean, honestly, yeah. it's ridiculous. And honestly, like, I get that people are saying this probably just to open up the discussion to some extent. And of course, some people actually believe this, like the, the post, the social media post that I just read. But I still am a little dumbfounded. Like, I've shot guns before. It is fun. It, like, releases crazy amounts of energy like similar to the effect that I feel after I go to yoga so like I right. fucking get it but when everybody like that I've heard like that is even slightly conservative leaning or just you know supporting gun rights leaning not necessarily conservative although that is more typical because the lobby gives them way 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 more money than they give the democrats um you know it's like everybody has to start their arguments with like well, I support everybody's right to have a firearm, but, but at least to get rid of semi-automatic weapons. And I don't disagree. Like if that's like the, if that's the common ground we need to find to actually move forward, then I'm willing to live with that for now. But I, it's almost the same kind of disbelief that you were just describing is like, how can you have just seen, well, I mean, we've seen it again and again, but it's, it continues to baffle me. Like how why would you think it would be safe for anyone to own any kind of firearm? I mean, when we were kids, I remember like all the time hearing about like kids who accidentally shot themselves in their own yeah. hands because of guns that they found in the closet, in their parents' closet. You know what I mean? So it's just that like, actually my own friend that happened to, he luckily just didn't die because he just accidentally shot himself in the leg. But oh my God. 
Yeah. So it's just, even that is hard for me to stomach. I'm like, I'm willing to accept it for right now because I think that's how we're going to get somewhere if we're going to get anywhere. But it's, that's even hard for me to hear. I'm like, how can you support that? Like I was actually terrified to have guns in my hand. Like it was a pretty terror, like my adrenaline spiked like crazy, which is partly why it's such a release, but like, they're scary. Like, I'm sorry, but like, yeah. Oh, I just don't, I don't get it. And I, I, to be perfectly honest, think it stems from toxic masculinity and playing God. I really, I really do. I think really smart thing to say. I just really think that it does. I think that if you feel like you have the power to choose who lives and who dies in sitting in your hand or in the glove compartment of your car or in your bedside table, that you, you're able to like reason with why you feel the way you do about certain things and why it's okay to, to perpetuate like structural racism. All of, I just, I, I know very few gun owners that I agree with politically. I'll just put that out there. Yeah, no, that's true for me too. That's why I was even, so that's partly why I wanted to read that post because I am very aware that this person is a Democrat and pretty progressive leaning. So I was like, that's so interesting to me. That is interesting. Um, but I also just loved his comment about Obama forcing you to get dental care. That made me laugh a lot. Did you see one other thing I just wanted to bring up? I know we're, we were talking about this topic a lot, which is sort of hard to not do, as you said. But yeah. um, did, you, did you see um, the post or that, well, it's not, I'm saying it's a post, but it was actually a speech that was then turned into a post that um, Representative John Lewis said about. No, no, God, I haven't. A little long. I mean, it's not that long. Can I read it? Yeah, I would love to hear it. It's like so, so moving. I mean, I I saved it on Instagram because I was like, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So, okay. So he goes, after New- Newtown, after, is it Newton or Newtown? That's Newtown. just funny. I'm so ignorant. Okay. After Newtown, after Aurora, after Charleston and Orlando, and now Las Vegas, how many more must die? A hundred? A thousand? 10,000? A million? What is your blood price? How many more must die? How many mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters, husbands and wives? Tell us, what is the number? How many dead bodies will it take to wake up this Congress? but there is no number, is there? There is no amount of blood or pain or death or suffering that will move this Congress to act. We hold moments of silence and vigils. We offer our thoughts and prayers, but it's all a show, a placeholder until people forget and this Congress can move on to rolling back restrictions on silencers or making it easier for the mentally ill to purchase weapons. Don't tell me otherwise. I've been around too long. I lost colleagues in Mississippi and Alabama to gun violence. I lost Dr. King to a man with a rifle. I lost Robert Kennedy to a man with a handgun. I have seen too many gun deaths, and I am here to say right now, this must stop. We were elected to lead, to have courage, have the raw courage to make a down payment on ending gun violence in America. We can no longer wait. We can no longer be patient. If this were a fire, we would bring water. If this were a virus, we would send medicine. If this were a storm, we would give shelter. But this is about guns, and so once more, this Congress does nothing. Don't tell me we need mental health reform when you won't provide every American access to mental health care. Don't tell me this is about protecting the Second Amendment when you won't stand up for the First Amendment. Don't tell me this is about anything other than greed and money and fear. Have courage, be unafraid, do your job and bring common sense gun control legislation to a vote. Wow. Dude, right? I mean, uh, like, 
Wow. That I just got so chills myself reading it again. Yeah, like I just, I just started crying. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, no one, I mean, no one has put that more eloquently. Like I couldn't have summed up my sentiments about it any more perfectly. So what? I had to share oh my that. God. Oh, with that, let's, let's interview. <sighs> let's, let's, let's have our interview. So today on the pod, we have Michelle Stillwell and Victoria Slatten. Um, they Woo! are Stillwell and Slatten Immigration Law. Um, they're an immigration and human rights law firm out of Washington, DC. They are fucking incredible Queens. You guys, like they are amazing. Oh amazing women. They just started their firm this year. Um, we talked to them about what's going on right now, not only with DACA, but with the travel ban um, and uh, all kinds of, of crazy stuff. And hopefully we can, uh, uh, you know, uh, get more information with them as all this stuff unfolds. And I know that there was something that you wanted to say right before, right before we, we bring them on. Yeah, well, this is just timely and relevant since, um, you know, we're, we're uh, of course, always trying to keep in the loop of all of the policy changes um, for the things that we care about and have been talking about on the pod. And I read an article today that was talking specifically about, um, you know, basically using the DACA decision to end DACA as a bargaining chip. And basically, the White House um, is finalizing a plan to, like, essentially in 10 years, uh, cut legal immigration in half, like in exchange for the DACA fix. So they're like literally using it as a leveraging tool, which is so messed up because both decisions are incredibly terrible and harmful. And yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to say about it than that other than like, obviously like this continues to be um, one of the biggest things that Trump and his administration are fighting to win and it's one of the most disgusting things in my opinion that they're fighting to win and so uh, we were just so lucky to be able to interview these attorneys because they are just fighting the good fight man and uh, trying to do everything they can with their own firm and helping out in immigration law and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who are doing the same so just keep abreast of all of the decisions and we'll continue to post resources and talk to the experts out there um, who can help us know what to do <laughs> to, to yeah. stop this. So oh, and that note. <laughs> and also you guys, um, they asked me what Liz does for a living and I straight up was not prepared for that answer and oh, I really yeah. fucking didn't know. Do you remember this? Like, I, I like, I, I fucking didn't know. Like, I was like, shame. So anyway, in the, in the outro, stay tuned for the outro where we have Liz tell you what she fucking does for a living so that I can write it down. <laughs> and know it later on. But anyway, ignore me. Listen to them. Bye. We'll see you in a minute. Bye. Okay. Okay, cool. So we are officially recording. So I would love to introduce uh, Tori Slatten and Michelle Stillwell. They are two attorneys, um, the partners at Stillwell and Slatten Immigration Law out of Washington, D.C. And I am just so excited to have you ladies. Hi, how are you? Great. Doing good. Thanks for having us on. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so, so much. I was so like amazed at how quickly you responded to my email. I just was like so giddy and I've been just waiting forever. So we're just really, really excited to have you on. Um, I just want to start with, tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and why you started your firm. Um, so I'll start. Um, I'm Michelle, by the way. Hi. Um, <laughs> So I went to Pepperdine Law School. We actually went to um, Pepperdine together. That's where we met. Um, and all throughout law 
school, I kind of knew I wanted to go the humanitarian route once I finished. I didn't really know exactly what path that would take, but um, I was always interested in kind of being a human rights lawyer or a civil rights lawyer. Um, and so I always took um, classes and internships that um, reflected that interest. Um, and then once I left law school, I immediately went into and worked for a nonprofit organization um, and didn't really quite have the mission that I was um, passionate about, mm -hmm. but it was a good starting place. And then um, when Trump was elected, it kind of got us both thinking, I think, um, about what the next step could be um, and where our services were most needed. And one thing we were both um, very passionate about was immigration. And so one day we just sat down together and we kind of discussed starting our own immigration firm. Um, and then we just did it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, and I'm actually from Texas originally. And then I went to Pepperdine with Michelle, like she said. Um, and yeah, I think like the only thing I would add is that we were best friends for a long time. And so uh, we joke that we wanted, we just wanted an excuse to spend more time with each other. <laughs> um, but really, yeah, and at the time um, when Trump was elected, I was actually working for USCIS. Um, oh, wow. um, so I was at Homeland Security. I was actually working with asylum and uh, seekers and refugees. And so I felt like we were really being targeted. And as much as, you know, I adore that office and I will always have so much respect for USCIS and what they do. Um, I just felt like it was time to move on. So it was a good timing that both of us were kind of unhappy in our careers. And so mm -hmm. we just decided to take the leap. That's amazing. How many cases do you work on at any given time? I would imagine that there's like no shortage of work for you ever. Well, we just started our firm this year. Um, so it's still taking off, but honestly, it's incredibly full. I was looking at how many clients we have right now. I think we're both juggling like close to 15 each. Yeah. Wow. And that's growing every day. I mean, yeah. a month ago, we probably had, we had about 20 total, and now we have 30 total, um, at least. So it's, it's been, we just, we've been growing really fast, which is, it, I say it's unfortunate that we're busy, sure. but it, it also shows that there's a real need for it right now. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And what are you finding that your clients are most worried about? This week is DACA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, every week it changes, yeah. especially since since Trump started. You know, immigration policy is changing so rapidly and unpredictably that I think um, it's hard to know what each week is going to what 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 calls we're going to get, what clients are going to be needing our services, and it really just comes from a place of fear. Um, a lot of immigrants are really scared right now. Um, every new policy that comes down is just you know, it singles out a different group of immigrants better than seeking some sort of relief. So it's, yeah, it's, I think it's been really important for us to like really like keep up with the news every day and yeah. kind of, and try to almost like interpret like Trump about what he's going to do next. Cause we have to make a lot of judgment calls and be like, I mean, which we're not always correct. Like, um, last month I was telling people like, there's no way he's going to get rid of DACA. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. Um, Especially because he came down and said that yeah, in right. July. Was it June or July? He came out and said, I have no future plans to, you know, mess with DACA at all. So we thought everything was going to be fine, at least for a while. And that lasted, what, two months, a month? So yeah, um, basically everything that DACA has been the most recent, but yeah, it's just depending on who's been targeted. 
Absolutely. So let's dive in a little bit on DACA. I know you shared that awesome blog post um, with us that we stuck on our Facebook page. And, and I just kind of want to unpack that a little bit more. Um, what, you know, what do dreamers need to know? What exactly is going on with DACA right now? I mean, I know that changes every, like by the hour too. Mm -hmm. I mean, with this most recent uh, meeting with Schumer and Pelosi and Trump, um, but I just, I just love to know, you know, what's going on and, and, you know, what, what we need to know. I mean, one thing I would say right now is that, um, if your DACA is expiring before, I think, I think March, yeah. you need to renew it immediately. Immediately. So uh, the, the, what is it? The date where you can no longer renew, um, DACA is October 1st, I want to say. October 5th. October 5th. Because yeah, it was, one, was like one exactly month. one month after. And so like, that's what we're telling clients right now. And also dreamers probably need, um, probably need to go see an immigration attorney right now and get a consultation. A lot of times immigrants have, um, relief that they don't know about that immigration attorney and like laws change all the time. So they may have other options besides DACA that they can rely on and, and it's usually best to kind of come up with a plan and already establish a relationship with an attorney just in case the worst does happen so that's what we've been telling people and unfortunately there's not a lot we can do um, right now except get their name and file and then tell them like wait and we'll see what happens sure yeah but and also what I'm telling everyone including dreamers is please call your representatives mm-hmm yeah all the time. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I mean, what, you know, what can we do to help um, dreamers and other undocumented folks? It's really about putting pressure on Congress to pass either an equivalent or what would be even better would be passing some sort of legislation that's more broad and more all-inclusive than DACA. And leads to citizenship. Yeah, and leads to citizenship, gives them a little bit more of a permanent status. And DACA is already very narrow. There's only pretty much everyone that qualifies for DACA um, is on DACA, you know? It doesn't right. allow for new remedies for people still being brought over by their parents. It, it, it allows for remedies for anyone that was here prior to 2009. Um, so ideally what would happen would Congress would take a look at our immigration policies and see that this area in particular has a real need um, and hopefully enact legislation that's broader than DACA and helps provide more permanent remedies for those that are currently on DACA. So it's very, very important on both sides of the aisle is that you tell Democrats, like, you need to work with Republicans on this, like, and to tell Republicans, like, you really don't want the optics of deporting a DACA recipient. It does not look good under your watch. Absolutely. Are there any policies right now that are, I mean, is there any talk of creating any kind of permanent legislation? Does it feel like maybe we're moving in that direction or is that still, are we still just sort of stagnant on that issue? Well, allegedly last week, Trump reached an agreement with Pelosi and Schumer. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Um, right. He also got a pretty big hit from his base after that happened. Um, that was a, an interesting day on Breitbart. <laughs> um, oh, I so, bet. Oh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I actually just went on it because I wanted to see how they were responding to it and it was, not it was not favorably. That's the hashtag Amnesty Dawn started. So I kind of doubt that's going to continue, but it's hopeful that people are willing to work with it. Um, so all, all we can say right now is like, gosh, we really hope that it gets passed. Yeah. Something gets passed. And that's what this is for. I mean, this is a six month trial period that Trump's allowing for Congress to pass something to help these, because it's not good for Republicans either. You know, mm -hmm. this isn't helping either side's 
of the political fence um, to put 800,000 dreamers at risk of deportation. That's, I know, I know Liz works with a lot of dreamers. A lot of her clients are dreamers. And so this is something that's, I mean, it's, we've just been absolutely grinding our nails to the bone, thinking about how, you know, and, and, you know, you just feel so powerless not being able to help, not being able to really do anything other than call, you know, you call, you email, you have to, you know, you just have to stay on your representatives. And that's something that, that I think a lot of people forget in their day-to-day lives. What does Liz do? Uh, she works with a bun- with a lot of different um, undocumented youth and underserved um, communities, and uh, like does uh, online training and does job help and does housing help and things like that. She volunteers a lot in the community. Um, I'm like, try yeah, she's amazing. She's really incredible. I'm actually really bummed out that she's not on here right now because she was like so excited to meet you guys. We'll have to find another time, maybe sometime, that we can kind of all jump on. And, uh, and I'd, I'd love for, for her to pick your brains about things too. Um, she was the one yeah. who sent me a bunch of questions. I was like, yes, send them all. Yay. <laughs> that makes us feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, my next one is what is the best response to Trump using DACA recipients as immigration policy bar- bargain chips? That's something that's just been like really nauseating to us. Um, Yeah, I mean, we just, we can't believe that it's, you know, that that DACA is possibly hinging or was possibly hinging on, you know, funding for the wall. Um, And then it turned out that not for the wall, but for added border security. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, in my opinion, the two shouldn't be related. If you're going to, if you're going to provide kind of common sense amnesty, which it should be in this case, then it shouldn't come with strings attached to it. I also don't think that you should hold representative, like, representatives hostage like hold their votes hostage um over something this important because realistically like something has to pass or it just is going to look horrible on their end and it is going to be horrible like not just optics wise but like it's just a horrible thing to do um to these kids so i it it sickens me too that i feel like they're being used as pawns politically like he did it kind of throw his um base like a bone I feel like and not really because it's even important to him and now I think it's just going to be a battle um between the two parties instead of really looking at the lives of these children and all the incredible things that recipients have done absolutely and I mean something that um Liz actually worked with a couple of her friends one is a photojournalist and one um, is a print journalist and they're they just created a um an art show an art exhibit about um uh, undocumented youth and, and, you know, the struggles that, that undocumented youth face and also just the idea of, you know, exceptionalism and that, you know, you, you, you may hear about undocumented immigrants, but they're like valedictorian or they're, you know, they're on some sort of crazy trajectory, which is amazing and wonderful, but we also tend to forget about like the, you know, the kid who like me got C's and got a degree, you know, who's, who's normal. And so there, I think there's a lot of added pressure as, you know, an, a, a dreamer um, you know, to be, to be exceptional and not just to be yourself and to be able to, you know, kind of navigate your way through the world, just the way that everybody, you know, who was born in this country can. Well, and that they have to kind of be, I feel like every immigrant has to be the face of immigration. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, like if one immigrant commits a crime, then all immigrants are criminals. It's like if one immigrant gets into Harvard, then suddenly like, oh, okay, well maybe they have value. So I think I think, yeah, we put a lot of pressure on this group of people and tell them they need to be perfect and almost like they have to earn their right to be here. Right. Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. And which is awful. I mean, if you think about, I can think back to, you know, how many kids I knew in high school and, and, you know, who received so many opportunities that they certainly, you know, I won't say didn't deserve, but didn't, you know, didn't work for. Right. Just, yeah. A lot of your average American citizens wouldn't qualify for DACA. You have to have a really perfect background. And it's, it's interesting that we hold them to such a high standard, but we don't hold ourselves to the same. It's very interesting. Yeah, I would, I mean, can we, can we talk a little bit about that too? Like, how do you qualify for DACA? Because so many people are saying like, you know, people who need to be deported aren't paying taxes and things like that. And those, that's not true of DACA recipients, right? Um, yeah, the, how you, um, how you were, how you qualify for DACA is you have to come in here before a certain date. Um, you have to be under 16 when you were brought over into the country And the two things that really make it hard to qualify for is you have to have a high school education or a GED equivalent, and you also have to have basic- Or be in school. Or be in school. Or you basically have to have a perfect, and you basically have to have a perfect criminal record. Um, Like, I've seen one case where this guy had a pretty insignificant misdemeanor and he qualified, but every other DACA recipient I know has a perfect criminal record, which a lot of of us don't have. Oh, Um, yeah. yeah, um, that's just a reality is you're young and you make decisions and they shouldn't affect the rest of your life, but it affects them to the point that they could be deported because of it. Um, and so it's, that's why if you're wanting, I think it's funny when people say like, you don't provide amnesty for safety, especially when it comes to DACA, because if you're wanting to make the United States safer, these are not people who, it doesn't make any sense to deport DACA recipients. They're um, none of them have criminal histories. And that's something that I just wish some, I just wish more people knew that. (laughs) I just wish more people understood and knew that and took the time to read about it and learn. But that's sort of what, you know, why we wanted to have you on is to kind of, is to share, uh, you know, all of the things that you know and and the direction that all of this is heading so that we can then share and say like, listen to people who do this, you know? And it it is cool. I think something I've seen in the last couple of weeks is watching people educate themselves on DACA. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, those things that not a lot of people knew about apart from like immigration attorneys and so it's good that people are rallying behind it because the more people understand it I think the more they are pro-DACA. Absolutely and so I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and I I want just to to ask you what's going on with the travel ban. Um, I mean I know it's kind of on the docket for the Supreme Court but I don't really know it just fell out of the news and I've been trying to find more stuff on it and I I just haven't been able to. Well the session for the Supreme Court ended, which is why, I mean, no one really talked about it. We knew it wouldn't um, come up again or be on the docket until at least fall. Um, And even now, there's a good chance that it's going to be postponed quite a bit, even when um, oral arguments are scheduled, which we don't really know when they're going to be scheduled. So even when they are, um, it's going to take several months after that to even get an opinion issued, especially for something this big. Because really what you have, what you're looking at right now is the Supreme Court, which is the judicial branch, is going to be going up against the, an executive order or the executive branch. Um, so this is going to be um, a long-awaited decision. Um, and we could, I mean, there's a possibility we won't hear anything until next May even. Um, well, I'm hoping we'll hear something sooner right now. Um, right now, the travel ban is just kind of in this limbo where the Supreme Court allowed it to go into partial effect. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so, I mean, it's a watered down version of the travel ban. And it basically says that um, anyone that comes into the United States from one of the six countries that Trump specified has to have some bona fide relation um, to the United States. Um, so, Which has been pretty easy to prove. It has been pretty easy to prove, but it makes it so that extended family um, are having a really hard time coming in. And yeah. refugees no longer allowed. Yeah, and yeah. refugees aren't being allowed, which is, yeah. Arguably the people who need it the most. Yes, exactly. I would think absolutely the people who need it the most. I remember there was a lot of confusion surrounding the, the bona fide relationship thing and like what it, why it didn't, why a grandmother couldn't come or why, or why grandchildren couldn't come or something like that. It had to be immediate family. Right. I think a lot of that goes back to just immigration law in general. Um, just as immigration lawyers, a lot of the time, a lot of the, um, a lot of the relief we try and get for people, a lot of the family visas, um, things like this has to be immediate family members. And a lot of the time grandparents are absent from that sort of language. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that's why the Supreme Court chose that. Um, seems like a bit of a stretch. The Supreme Court actually wasn't the one who set the guidelines. The Supreme Court gave kind of vague guidelines that they had to have some That's kind of relationship. And then actually the Trump administration came in and they're the ones who kind of set it at like, no, they like really clarified that and made it pretty strict, like no grandparents. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's confusing even for us and we've kept a pretty close eye on it. We've written a few blogs on it, but just because for a while there, every week it was going back and forth. You right. know, they passed the version and then it gets struck down. And so, um, but we haven't had much issues like with our clients with the ban just because um, most people who are in the United States trying to get family members over, you know, it's pretty easy to prove that relationship. So we haven't run into that yet. But I worry about what this means for the future of immigration if a ban like this is able to go into effect. Right. Um, I, I think the, the last question I have is, you know, what are, do you have any advice on how we can use the podcast medium to create a safe space for um, dreamers, for undocumented folks, for immigrants in general? It's kind of fun you ask that because we're actually working on a new podcast. Not, we're not plugging, I promise, but we're- Oh my God, plug it, plug it right now. Totally plug it. <laughs> we're gonna, we're actually about to release a podcast in the next couple months called Their Stories, where we're yes. interviewing different immigrants. Yeah, um, none are our clients, but they're like different immigrants we've met through um, various um, like different walks of life. Some we've been to school with, some are our friends. And we're just trying to kind of trying to basically we want to show that there's not a single immigration narrative and that like there's not a one-size solution fits all because um you know every stereotype you have is going to be broken right and we want to really give a voice to immigrants who haven't really had it you know um immigrants a lot of times are just um kind of generalized and talked about as an entity um, rather than as individual people. So with our podcast, we kind of just want to humanize them a little bit. Um, yeah, and make their stories known because every single immigrant has a different story, has a different walk of life. So I don't really think it's fair to just sit there and lump them into a category and say, this is the problem. These people are a problem. And it's like, well, you don't know what each of these people are doing or how they're contributing. So we'd like to tell people about that and then I guess to bring that back around to what other people in the media and podcasting can do I think is to interview immigrants about 
other things besides just the fact that they're immigrants. Sure. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, you know, and like, it's such a good thing to point out and be like, oh yeah, where are you from? That's amazing. How did you get here? So cool. And it's like, and so what are you doing now? You know, because it's right. so good, I think, like, not to see beyond just um, that label and see like the face behind it. I think that's when like barriers start getting broken down. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you can look at it, at everyone as people, then we wouldn't really have any of the problem, not any, but we wouldn't have many of the problems that we have right now. If everybody could just see each other for the humanity in each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Do you have anything else to add? I mean, I'm just like, I'm fangirling super hard. You guys, I've been like, I've been like jotting notes down, like, okay, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. <laughs> They're like super nervous, but yeah, I just, I've just enjoyed talking to you so much. And, and, and I mean, you just, the work that you're doing is really incredible. We, we appreciate everything that you're, that you are giving of yourselves and of your time and, you know, of everything, not only to, you know, to us for this interview, but just in general for, for the work that you're taking on. And I mean, if there's any way that we can help in the future, if there's anything that we can do, we would, we would love to be a part of that. I, I do just want to say we love meeting other like female podcasters. Um, it's super cool what y'all are doing. We love your show oh, and we love that. We really appreciate you letting us come on and like giving us a platform to kind of um, talk about our experiences. It's really um, refreshing to have people that kind of support our mission and support what we do and just try to encourage us. Um, yeah, that's really really rewarding. So So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I mean, we really feel the same way. It was very, I mean, this, this podcast was, was born out of the Trump election. Um, I mean, Liz and I both have, have been activists in our own way. She very much more in the policy realm and me more in the like Facebook warrior and educating of family realm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we kind of came together and, and oddly enough, she and I have never lived in the same place. Um, both of our, uh, my husband and her boyfriend are very good friends. And so we just were sort of like lumped into social events throughout the years. And, um, and we like, I, for some, for whatever reason, we found each other through the like really dark days after the election. And that's, you know, what this podcast, how this podcast started. And now you're, you're going to be in season three, which is so exciting. So, I mean, it's very, it's very wonderful to have you support, support our mission as well. And I'm just, I'm just happy as a clam. I'm going to go about the rest of my day, just being super like on cloud 47 that I got to talk to you today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. And I just am, um, I mean, from, from now on, I'm just going to scour your blog because I've been like obsessively reading it. And um, if it's okay with you, oh, actually I do have one last question. Yeah, um, do you serve mostly local, um, mostly local immigrants or is, is, is your firm something that we can share as a resource? We actually take on cases from all over the country, the majority, in the yeah, in the world, actually. Um, we have international cases. So, uh, because immigration law is federal, so you can practice it in any jurisdiction. So yeah, go ahead and share it as a resource. We are happy to help wherever we can. That's fantastic. I know that was something that Liz wanted me to ask. So oh. I'm most happy about that. And yeah, and so everybody, um, I mean, I'll just like share all of your information. Everybody go check out these two amazing women and all of the, uh, the mountains that they are moving.
You're so sweet, Maureen. Thank you for everything. And thank you. I can't wait to hear the podcast. You're amazing. Oh, absolutely. And I will share, um, I'll share all the stuff with you. And if you want to proof the episode, we can totally do that. Otherwise you will be up on October the 6th on Feminist Fridays. Oh, right. Very cool. Two days before my birthday. Yeah. Oh, hey. oh, that's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Right. Yay. Well, ladies, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. You Sounds too. good. Bye-bye. Um, so should we start the outro with me yeah, 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 yeah. talking about what I do? <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So welcome that. back. Woo. Woo. Oh my God. That was an amazing interview. Now, wasn't know, aren't it? Aren't they fucking great? Like, I don't know just why so I just cool. developed a Southern accent. I, know. I, was, I, don't know. I was into it though. I was feeling it. So now that you guys, I'm sure have been waiting the whole episode, episode with bated breath to find out what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Not. them what you do. <laughs> Oh man, it's really not that interesting. And to be fair, it's not always the easiest to explain because I do a lot of random stuff. So I'm just, I'm going to give Mo an out on this one. Um, currently, I work for a mission-driven startup. I do all of the learning and development um, for our staff, um, which basically means that I design e-learning and I create fun instructional videos and then do all of the video editing. I design um, competency models for certain positions and um, you know provide opportunities for people to develop and grow their skills so that they can move up in an organization um, or in whatever they decide to do. The common thread of my work has always been learning and development, whether it's in nonprofit or the corporate world, because I myself am insatiable, an insatiable learner. Like I just, I love it. I feel like it's a problem that people think that like your learning ends like once you're done with school. I think we're always continuously learning and developing. Um, so I'm very passionate about it, but I think probably some of the confusion around that is, first of all, most people are like, okay, what's learning and development? And then I'm also um, very active in the community. Like for the last eight years, um, I've been a moderator of public forums in the community on, on policy issues. So like, that's it too. I mean, like every job that I've had has had a slightly different mission and approached things from different ways. So I've been at the grassroots level and advocacy and used learning and development for that. I've uh, been a moderator. I've been a facilitator. I've been the behind the scenes designer. It's why I semi know how to do some audio editing for our podcast, but not very well. We're learning. Hey, <laughs> we're learning. We're don't, learning. don't talk about my friend like that. She's my friend. <laughs> oh man, but that's funny. But that's what I do right now. But essentially, I work the the company that I currently work for. I will proudly share. It's called Opportune. We created a risk model to score the unscorable. So like we're basically one of the only options out there that's not a predatory lender. We offer unsecured installment loans for the low income community and primarily the Latino community. Um, so in that sense, we are really helping um, families and individuals out there who can't necessarily make ends meet and can't go to the banks for help for loans or if they um, you know, run into emergencies like their car breaking down or something, most of them don't have you know, extra cash lying around um, to right. fix it, or and they don't have uh, family or friends who can can help them in those situations. So, in that sense, it's very in line with my mission, myself, my beliefs in social justice and human rights, and that's also been a common thread throughout my career. So, that's it. Yay! <laughs> I'm really glad that like I'm. It's so I feel better that I didn't know what it was like. I that I like you got the that. idea. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Like, I sound like a total, like, asshole that I, like, don't, 
I just wasn't, I didn't have my like my notes in front of me. But you, but you, you, everyone can now see how it is totally understandable. Yeah, like how do you explain that? Yeah. yeah, I couldn't explain it in like one sentence. Like I can't just be like, I'm a doctor, right? <laughs> you know, so I'm girl. It's all good. <laughs> and uh, and you guys fucking get your asses back here next week. We have Rebecca Traster. Ah! Oh my God, we have Rebecca Traster. She's amazing. If you guys haven't read her stuff already, she's the author of two books, All the Single Ladies and Big Girls Don't Cry. And if you honestly just Google her, she's, she's a political journalist. So she has yeah. a trillion current articles. She talks to us about what she's working on next, which is so exciting. So definitely yeah, tune in for that on Feminist Friday. Yeah, on Feminist Friday. And um, also, start reading. If you want to read along, we're doing a little bit of a feminist book club. Um, <gasps> yeah. So we're, we're reading HRC's new book, uh, What Happened. So get in there and read it. We'll probably... What the fuck happened? <laughs> right, what the fuck? It should be like, what the fuck is still happening? Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Will it ever stop happening? But yeah, we'll, we'll be tackling that in two weeks. So get on it with us, you guys. Hell yeah. And I and know like, we also sure. wanted to mention as well that, you know, and we also learned this from Pod Save America, just, you know, kind of gave us the cue to do the same thing. We love you guys. We listen to you guys all the time. Be our friends. Right. Uh, listen to me. Not, not what I was trying <laughs> to say, but, but they made a good point that like, especially with how quick news cycles are now. I mean, like, you know, they, were, they made the point, like, back in Columbine shooting in the 90s, you know, it took, like, a three-week or so news cycle. Like, everyone was talking about it forever. Like, now, all, especially with all of these tragedies, these natural disasters, the shooting in Vegas, like, everything going on is happening so quickly, and everything's getting news attention for, like, one, maybe two days. So they made uh, a great point that, there's really millions of people in Puerto Rico who still need help and who are still without power and water. And um, not that we're in any way comparing one disaster or tragedy to another, but just don't forget and still offer your support to Puerto Rico and other folks who need it um, across the country. That's so important. That's so important. Stay on top of, of these things and how our government is responding. We need to also be sure that we are understanding exactly what's going on so that we can apply pressure where it's needed because that's our government is obviously in a lot of ways not watching out for us we need to watch out for each other and that doesn't mean that you need to defend yourself with a semi-automatic or automatic weapon uh, no watch <laughs> watch with their eyes and their speech <laughs> oh my god yes all right well everybody hang in there self-care could not be more important right now i know especially us empaths and lots of women we've talked to out there yeah. Um, yeah. Are feeling it are feeling like, I mean, what did, how did you put it earlier? Like, like we're drowning. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, Facebook posts from one of our season two um, Queens who we interviewed, Julie Hendren, a very good friend of mine. She was, you know, talking about how, how she just is like, she just feels like she's drowning. And then everyone was like, we're all, we all feel like that. There were like hundreds of people that were like, uh, yeah, like That's you exactly just perfect it. words to what I'm feeling. So yeah. Take care of yourselves, help each other, find a life raft um, in whatever way that you can. We love everybody. Share our shit and fuck guns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to say that now at the close of every fucking episode. Share our shit and fuck guns. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.